Well, good morning, everyone. Um, for most of you know me, um, if you don't, my name is Clayton Feltz. I get to serve as the associate pastor here at City Church. Pastor Billy is actually on his way from a much on his way back home from a much needed vacation. So uh, hopefully he had a restful time and, and is rejuvenated and renewed as he comes back. And, and hopefully he and Allison and their family will be safe as they travel back today on, on a rainy Sunday. Um, I know, I know I usually kind of dress for church kind of like how I grew up, right? I don't wear skinny jeans and I don't wear uh, t-shirts. It's not my style. Nothing against anyone who does that. It, this is kind of me. But if you're not careful, you would think this is kind of how I grew up. I grew up in more of a, a, a of an way of like, you just always dress nice. And that's not where I come from. Some of you know where I come from. For those who don't, let me share so I come from a little town in Tennessee, north of Nashville, called Greenbrier, Tennessee. Literally, it's named after a green briar, okay? It is rural, it is country, and it has one red light. I mean, when we got a Sonic, like, that was a big deal when I was in high school. It's like, we have a place to hang out now, Sonic. Like, that is where I come from, where people have horses and guns are in trucks, and like, look, we say we, it's okay for kids to drink out of a hose pipe. You, do you know what a hose pipe is? It's a hose. That's all it is. But we, we somehow add pipe to it. Like, that's where I come from. And so when I was growing up here in rural Tennessee, one of the radio shows that my dad and I would listen to were these two radio hosts out of Birmingham, Alabama, called the Rick and Bubba Show. How appropriate. Rick and Bubba. They, their, their title was, We Are the Two Sexiest Fat Men Alive. <laughs> and so they would go in and, and, and they would entertain, and it was just a typical morning radio show. And I remember listening to this with my dad. And as I got older, I still listened to it even when I was in college some. And in 2008, I was listening to one of the hosts, Rick Burgess, give a testimony. He was sharing this on the radio of something he had experienced. And so Rick is a popular radio host, but man, Rick really is a follower of Jesus. He loves Jesus. He always used his radio platform to point back to the gospel. And so the weekend of, of January 19, 2008, Rick was asked to go to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee and speak at a Christian conference. And he was speaking at this conference when he got a phone call from his wife. Rick and his wife were the parents of five kids. And most of his kids were older, and they were all successful, and everything you'd want a parent to kind of feel when it comes to looking at your kids in this life. But when he received that phone call, Rick was not getting good news. In fact, Rick got some horrific news. His wife had to tell him that earlier that day, their youngest son, Bronner, who was two, had made his way outside their home went into their backyard, fell into their swimming pool, and died. And Rick said, I just went blank. I, I didn't know how to respond. He said, I obviously left the conference and I drove back to Birmingham, having this thought that I had lost my son. And he said, we had a great Christian community, a great church, and people really supported us, and he said, but I was overwhelmed with grief. I was so stressed beyond measure that I didn't know what to do. He said, at one point I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I couldn't tie my shoes. He said, I couldn't tie my shoes. 
And he said, over the next few months, living in that grief, living in that stress, living in that pain, he said there was this temptation to lean into every type of sin imaginable just to numb the pain. I hope this morning none of you have ever experienced something like that. I mean, I can't imagine as a parent getting that call and walking through that space. I hope that's not you. But I do know that every Sunday, people come into this church with something, some type of stress, something that's overwhelming them, something that just seems too much to bear. I mean, have you ever been there? Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe it's, man, my marriage is hard right now, or man, my my kids are hard too. Maybe it's your job or money. It could be anything. What we're going to look at this morning is, man, we're going to have times of stress and be overwhelmed. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful through God's strength, we can start leaning into our own flesh when things start to tempt us. See, we're in the final part of the series on the Lord's Prayer, and Pastor Billy has uh, shown us up to this point, walked us through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 about how Jesus is teaching his disciples then, really us as his disciples now, how to pray, how to pray. So turn over to Matthew 6, and I'm going to read the entire Lord's Prayer. It's pretty short. And then we're going to be camped out this morning in that last verse, verse 13. Okay? All right. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us, and forgive us our debts. Also, we all, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not to not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This idea of the Lord's prayer from the very beginning is dependence on God. It is why our Father, Pastor Billy shared this, it's our Father, it's Abba Father. It's God is a Father. He's not some distant God far away. He sees his children. He has a relationship with his children. It's an intimacy that you and I get to call him Father. And we walk through this Lord's Prayer teaching us to be dependent on him over and over and over. Lord, give us our daily bread. Lord, help us forgive those who trespass against us. It's this dependence. So here in verse 13, it's that same model as Jesus ends the prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or some translations says the evil one, right? Talking about Satan himself. See, Jesus is not suggesting that prayer is something we do only when we just feel good or feel like it. See, this verse here is here because he is reminding us that we don't always have the convenient luxury just to pray when things go well. We need to lean into prayer when things are really hard. Now hear me, I want to give good context and good theology here. This is not Jesus saying that God the Father never tests believers. That's Genesis 22.1. And he's not suggesting either that the Father himself tempts us with sin, because that's not true either. That's James 1.13. Instead, he is reminding us, telling us we are to plead with the Father when sin, when hardship is coming our way, that we are at war. It's warlike language. And this prayer is 
a spiritual countermeasure to protect ourselves. See, this, this Greek word here for temptation is paralamos. And paralamos is actually mentioned 21 different times in the New Testament. And so it actually, its meaning is temptation from sin, but that's not the only meaning the Greeks would use this because they would tie this into one thing. They would tie it into the temptation of sin, but they would also tie this thing in for it's the same used in James 1 for trials. It's the same used for putting to proof or testing something. It's the same Greek word where we could say it as, Lord, lead us not into calamity or affliction. See, trials and temptations That's separate, but often when trials happen, we are tempted to lean into our own flesh. That's the word. The point of this is we are at war with temptations and trials in our life. We all are. We can't escape them. And the question is, are we going to lean into our own flesh that entices us to use our own strength? Or are we going to lean into God? Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray this prayer to lean into him. So practically, let me give you two examples. If we're not careful, we can lean into our own selves. This is the temptation for all of us, me included. Number one, if we're not careful, we can rely on our own strength. We can rely on our own strength. See, the the, the physically strongest person to ever walk the face of the earth in the Bible was Samson. Okay? Samson was ridiculously physically strong. Like, I'm talking about physical strength. Okay, we see that in Judges 14, that the spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson and he kills a lion with his bare hands. And then later in that same chapter, it says he overtook 30 men just by himself. In chapter 15, the the, the Philistines come against Samson. They bound him up and the ropes and the bounds around his hand just melt like it's on fire. And then Samson picks up the jawbone of a donkey and takes down, it says, a thousand men. Listen, I don't care how much you work out, how much you run, how much you lift, how much you do CrossFit, how much you do calisthenics, you're not as strong as Samson physically. And that's okay. Because see, I don't think most of us rely on our physical strength like Samson. I think we actually rely on our position like this next guy, which is King David. See, King David wasn't necessarily physically strong. In fact, he's the shepherd boy that defeats Goliath. He's not walking to the room and going, that guy, he's, he's quite big. Like when I worked in athletics, I worked around guys who were pro athletes. And, and you can often tell a pro athlete when they walk into the room. They're just physically impressive. That's not King David. David's strength came from his authority, his position. He was king. He rules all. He believes he has all authority and power because he's anointed by God. And listen, when God is with David, as we see in 2 Samuel 5 and 6, man, he is delivered over and over in victory after victory. It's good times for King David. When God was with both David and Samson, things went really well. But man, trouble came the moment they stopped relying on him and they started relying on their own strength. And ultimately, then they fell into temptation. You see, it was Samson three times. He sleeps with women of the enemy tribe in Judges 14, 15, and 16. And we see it with David. When he's supposed to be out with the king or without with the soldiers and the leaders at battle in 2 Samuel 11, and he looks across and he sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. And he says, I've got to have her. And he does. 
Because he has the authority to do that. And we see that he does that sinful act in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5. Listen, this morning, it's probably not your physical strength like Samson that you need to rely on or that you do rely on when you go out in the world. I don't think any of us are striking down people with our hands. Hopefully you're not. (laughs) But maybe it is the physical strength you get from your health. Or honest, we have a pretty young church. Maybe it's your age, your, your youthfulness, your vitality, your, your energy. I mean, I remember when I turned 30 years old, I couldn't eat the same thing I did when I was 29. I don't know what happened. It's like one day I woke up and it was like, oh, that doesn't work anymore. And I'm always tired now. And suddenly you get gray hair. It's just weird. <laughs> but if we're not careful, if you're young, you can go, man, Life is pretty easy and relaxing and I always have this energy and I have nothing but time. And you can rely on that to actually be your security. For most of it, it's not that. It's, it's our position, our, our jobs. I mean, we live in Alpharetta. It's our status or our, the area that we live in is very affluential, so it's the money we have. It's the comfort we can rely on. I mean, It's easy to entice us with all those things that go, if I just have this, that's where my security is. And yet, as we can see with David and Samson, that doesn't keep them from falling into sin. So the first one is that. We rely on our own strength, but the second way, if we're not careful, that we can turn to ourselves when it comes to temptation is we rely on our own wisdom. See, David has a son with Bathsheba, his name's Solomon, and he wrote a lot of stuff on wisdom in Proverbs. And God asked Solomon in 1 Kings, not once but twice, what to give him, and he gets unmatched wisdom and wealth. Unmatched wisdom and wealth. I mean, by all earthly standards, Solomon has it all. He's got all the knowledge and all the money. He controls it all. And yet, in all of Solomon's earthly wisdom, when he responds away from God, he also fails. Like a boat slowly drifting away from its course, Solomon slowly drifts away from God, and he starts using his earthly wisdom to start protecting his kingdom. And he starts pursuing political marriages to women to assure his kingdom, his place. And when he gets old, he yields to his pagan wives and turns from God into idol worship. We see that in 1 Kings 11. Solomon had all the money and all the wisdom that you and I could ever want. And like David and like Samson, without the Lord, he was no match. No match. Listen, our wisdom, our strength, our stuff, ourselves are no match without God to the temptations and trials we are going to face in this world. We live in this time in 2023, guys, where, where, listen, society is enticing us to find like a new spirituality, this, this new way of thinking, this new way of morality. You hear it all the time. I hear it all the time, right? It's find yourself. Just find yourself, right? Stay true to yourself, right? Justify yourself. Do what makes you happy. And yet, 
that's a recipe for disaster. That those relying on themselves to identify and rally their identity and who they are outside of Jesus cannot and will not withstand the trials and temptations of this world. You know why? Because we were never, ever meant or designed to bear or discover ourselves alone. Listen, taking an Enneagram or a Myers-Briggs test or any personality test, being aware of your strengths and weaknesses, that's not bad. But doing that in the context of knowing I still need a Savior because I don't have it all. Listen, if the strongest, wealthiest, and wisest of kings scandalously fail because of their pride, what lesson does that teach us? What does it teach us if they couldn't get it right? I mean, how prideful do we think we are? How arrogant can we be to think we can get it right? Listen, Jesus is teaching us to pray this part of the prayer because none of us, none of us are above any sin. None of us. And we've got to be honest about that. That's why Matthew 26, the same Greek word is used here where Jesus says, stay alert and pray, lest you enter a time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. Right? The spirit was on Samson, and Samson won. The spirit was on King David, and King David was victorious. The spirit of God, God was with Solomon, and it was good. But the moment they were said, no more, God, we got it. It fell apart. It fell apart. So it's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, Jesus, Jesus is, makes it clear here that, that we need God, God's help when it comes to temptation in the midst of trials, that we should not be enticed and lean into our flesh. But he is reminding us here in this warlike language that we have to be delivered from an evil one, from evil. Okay? Look, he's saying we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. That's, that's not what we're doing. But there is a powerful, evil, spiritual enemy who wants to destroy you. It's why Paul would write to the church at Ephesus this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. At the core, listen, who Satan is, is evil. He is the evil one. And we have to recognize he is real. He is real. He sows evil. It's who he is. It's why John would say in John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always been that. It's his character. Listen, he can't stand for truth. Because there is no truth in him. John would say, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who he is. And if we're not careful, we can just dismiss that. We can dismiss it because of two reasons. Number one, because we believe the lies. So, the, the, so what we can do practically is, guys, we got to stop believing the lies. We have to. 
I love what John Mark Comer says when it comes to sin and believing in lies. He says, listen, when we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. I mean, we do. We, we believe it. We go, gosh, I'm just going to do this and it, it, it's going to be good. And maybe it is. Maybe it's pleasurable. Maybe it's good. Maybe it makes you happy for about one second. But ultimately, it's never going to satisfy you. But we believe the lies somehow that it will. That the thing we're longing for deep in our hearts, that this sin is going to, to help us achieve that, fulfill that, make us have value and meaning. And so we believe that it's going to make us happy, but since Satan is a liar, we believe the lie when he tempts us. Because he, the evil one, is not like a little kitten. He's like a raging lion. And I think a lot of times we believe the lie because of that. We just don't take it seriously. Listen, I don't always take it seriously. Right? We can look at the evil one in this passage and we can go, man, he's, it's almost like he's Santa Claus or Thor's hammer or some mythical thing. And not that he's real and he wants to destroy you and me. And so we start believing these lies, these deceitful ideas that play to the discord desires that society says, that's normal. Because society has also said, find yourself. Whatever makes you happy. You're the creator of your own destiny. And so that's the attitude. That's the battle we have to face. I love, again, what Comer says about how we kind of fall into this. He says this. He says, sow a thought, reap an action. So action, reap another action. So some actions, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Either in slavery to the flesh, either slavery to the sin that we are in, or, or freedom in the Spirit. See, guys, it's, it's actually really easy to fall into slavery. We don't think it is, but it is. I mean, I, I, I love how Pastor Billy always states it. Is, he says, no one wakes up wanting to destroy their life. No one wakes up and goes, gosh, I just hope I have an affair today. Oh my gosh, this is going to be good. Or, man, I just hope I, I gossip or I hope I harm someone or I, I hope I cheat on something. Like, no one wakes up hoping to destroy their life. But it's little by little, drip by drip, brick by brick. We give in to sin, and then we give it into it again, over and over. I heard someone say, listen, it's really hard to sin the first time. It's a lot easier to do it the second. And so we do. We believe that lie that it won't cost us very much. We believe the lie that, oh, it's only this one time. No one knows. No one saw. No one is exposing me. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about it in the screw tape letters when the demon is training the other demon. And he says this, he says, indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without suddenly, sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Listen, that's what Satan wants. Just to dismiss it. Just to say, you know what, I'll just do it tomorrow. I'm not going to follow you to God today. I'll just, you know what? I don't have time to pray this. I'll just do it tomorrow. And with the best intentions, that's what you say. And then tomorrow comes and you put it off again and again and again. 
Listen, Satan is the evil one because it's who he is. It's the fullest sense of who he is. He is the greatest enemy of us. And he wants nothing less to destroy you. He wants to destroy you, your family, your marriages. He wants to destroy our unity, our ministries. He wants to destroy our testimonies. And yet, by God's grace, we have God's word to fight those. Listen, but we can't do it on our own because we're not strong enough and wise enough to do it. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a church, listen, practically we've gone, we, we, I hate that we say sometimes we've gone all in on prayer, but we really have because we've never like not done that. We're just making it more front and center where, man, we want to be known as a church that prays, that prays for one another. Listen, we want to be a church that goes deep into Scripture. That's why this Wednesday, we're starting Wednesdays in the Word. Where, man, we want to give you the tools to fight those lies. To teach you how to pray. To teach you how to go deeper into God's Word. So when the enemy comes, when the evil one comes with those lies, you see what it is, a lie. And you go, I don't want any of that. By the Spirit of the Lord in me, I see what it is. I see what you're doing, and I'm not, I'm not buying it exposes the lies. Listen, we've got to start seeing the lies from the evil one as what it is, lies. At the same time, at the same time, we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. The second way, don't believe the lies, is the first one. The second one is, don't isolate yourself. Listen, one of the ways the enemy wants to tempt you is to get you by yourself. To get you by yourself. Look at Jesus' Jesus's language in verse 13 again in Matthew 6. It's, lead us. Lead us. Not lead me. It's communal. Like, the, the Bible is communal. It's together. We. Us. The enemy wants you to be alone. It is when you're at your weakest. Listen, it's when I'm at my weakest. When I'm alone, at home, that's when the enemy says, you can look at that. No one will know. Or maybe when you're alone at work and you're, you're purchasing something and you go, you know what? No one will ever know if you just spend five extra dollars on this for yourself. That's when the temptation happens is when you're by yourself. I don't, listen, I don't feel those things. You probably don't feel those things when your spouse is right beside you or when you're at a coffee shop in public or when you're here on Sunday mornings to gather together with the saints. Like that doesn't, that's not when he comes after us. He comes after us when we're isolated, when we're alone. It's the way he came after Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter four. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came, the evil one, and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's the same language there in the Lord's Prayer. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, and least you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, the evil one does exactly this model over and over in his playbook, even to Jesus. The Jesus is at his physically weakest. He's fasting during the day. He tries to tempt Jesus with these half-truths. If you are the son of God, right? He's manipulating scripture there. He's trying to get him to believe the lies. And he's doing all this when Jesus is alone in the wilderness. See, King David in 2 Samuel was alone when he saw Bathsheba across the way because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. The king was supposed to be out in battle, out in front, leading his troops. And when he was alone and isolated and tempted, he fell into that sin. When Jesus was alone and isolated and tempted in the desert, in the wilderness, he didn't. Guys, you and I are a lot more like King David than Jesus. We really are. And I heard this week, actually, someone was telling me when, when, when I was going through some of the sermon about how some people treat addiction. And one of the ways people treat addiction, how they, how they overcome addiction, is they use this acronym called HALT. H-A-L-T, HALT. And it stands for this, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the point of that is, listen, most of your temptation happens when you're one of these. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, or when you're tired. And the point of that is, you should halt and check. Am I any of these? Right? And you see it again in Matthew 4 there. Jesus is alone. He is fasting. So there really is some hunger there. I don't know if he was angry. But he is tired. We know he's tired because after Satan leaves, his angels attend to him. Listen, one very practical way, and this is not like Bible here, halt's not there, but we should just caution and pause and go, man, am I feeling any of that? And am I leaning into my own flesh in that moment? We should halt. Listen, whenever someone leaves or avoids community he needs, it's usually because they have been lured away by sinful desires. Because we were meant to live together. It is why we encourage you a lot in, in, at City Church to be in a small group. Like if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a, a community of believers walking alongside of each other, man, it's hard to do this. It's why I would encourage you, listen, men, I'm looking around. We have a pretty full room this morning. Men, we have city men coming up this Saturday at 8 o'clock right here. We have city men because of that. Because we need each other, studying God's word, praying, encouraging one another. Iron sharpens iron. Like we need to do this in community. We don't need to isolate ourselves. That's why later in the summer we'll have the women's ministry as well. Guys, I, I just want to encourage you, men, like you, you saw the donuts and you saw Dan and some others wearing city men's shirts. Like if you've never been to city men, come to that Saturday. I know it's Father's Day weekend. But there is no place you should be other than that. I know, look, it, be with your family, I get that. There's sometimes it's like, I need to be with my family. That's important. And I get, we live in an area where there are sports and vacations. And those are not bad things, guys. But guys, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. And he wants to do it gradually. And one of the ways is he said, just put it off. 
Man, I want to encourage you, be with other men. And I know I'm just talking to the guys right now. Be with other men that take this seriously. We need one another. It helps us not isolate ourselves. Because listen, God wants us. Jesus is reminding us in this prayer. We can't do it on our own. So God, we need your dependence. We need your dependence. And here's the thing. He hears our cries. He hears them. He's a loving father who wants to hear from his children. He acknowledges us when we're in those battles. And then you know how we know this? Because he gave us Jesus. Listen, I love that Zach read from Mark. I love that reminder of the gospel. Because it's true. Because Jesus really did die on the cross for us. He is our defense. He lived the life we couldn't live. He did die the death we deserve to die. And when he was tempted by the evil one, he didn't give in. And he exposed the evil one for what he was. And listen, even Jesus did this in community. In community. See, I started with the story of Rick Burgess. And when I was hearing Rick give his testimony about this, I didn't have kids. And when I became a parent, I heard the story again and I just thought, I can't even imagine. It's like a worse fear. And as he's given his testimony here and recognizing it was really difficult, as he sat in that at grief, Rick said it was tempting to fall into isolation just to isolate himself in his house, to not be in community, to not engage because, man, people aren't going to understand what we're really going through. And he said it was very tempting to fall into his own strength because he didn't know what else to do. And yet, he didn't. And he's given his testimony saying, guys, I just couldn't tie my shoes. I didn't know what to do. I'm feeling that pressure. And he said, and it led me to only one thing. Prayer. Prayer. It reminded him of the Lord's prayer. And this dependence on who God is. And he said this in an article reflecting on it. I'm going to put it on the screen. Rick said, the death of a child, it's very difficult. But we, his family, have a great strength because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are praying that our son's life and even death can be used to glorify God as other people see how believers handle grief crisis so that others will come to know Christ also. Because that makes no sense unless you really believe Jesus is who he is. See, I think Rick and his family know too that no matter what they were going through, God was with them. 
even when they didn't understand it. But they weren't going to rely on their own wisdom. They were going to rely on who God is. And here's the thing. I'm sitting here telling you their story. And that message is continuing to spread. Because of their faithfulness in King Jesus. See, when the Israelites cried out against the Egyptians, God sent Moses to deliver them. When they needed to defeat their enemies in the land, God gave them Joshua. It's what our city kids are learning about today. When they cried out for help against their enemies in Canaan, God raised up judges to save them. When they needed to secure the land, God gave them King David as flawed as he would be. King David was also a man after God's own heart. But God has given us a greater deliverer than Moses and Joshua and the judges and King David. God really did give each of us Jesus. It is what Zach read and Mark. It is why we can be reminded in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation, none, has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond the ability, but that with temptation, it's that same Greek word, he will also provide the way that you may be able to endure it. And the only way you endure it is on him. Listen, this morning, this morning, this week, when you find yourself in temptation, when you find yourself going through a trial, don't turn to your own strength or resources. Before you give up, dig in. Dig in with the community. Expose the lies of the enemy. And pray. Pray. Pray more. Every day. Pray more. Pray more accurately. That's what the Lord's prayer teaches us. Pray more in faith because we can depend on him. Listen, pray the Lord's prayer. But by all means, guys, the reason we walk through this series is to remind each of us to pray. And this week, pray this verse. God, I need you to lead me, lead us, not into temptation. But Lord, I need you to deliver me, deliver us from evil. And when you do, guys, trust that God can. Trust him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, you really are a deliverer. You really see us. You really know us. You know our flaws, our weaknesses, our sinfulness. And yet, Lord, you remind us that grace abounds more. That God, there is no temptation, no trial, that you're not with us. So Lord, teach us and show us to rely on your strength and not on our own. Lord, I pray that there are people also who know that, man, as they've fallen into sin, just like I have, that because of Jesus, the finished work you did on the cross, we are forgiven completely, that there is no condemnation in those of us in you. 
So Lord, let us rejoice and hope and worship in that. For that is the good news that you give us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can have it, the fact that we can do it together in a community. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we worship you. In your name, Jesus, amen.